0: And welcome to the clinical podcast series brought to you by the American Academy of Optometry Foundation. For today's topic, I would like to introduce our episode entitled Pharmacological Treatment in Presbyopia. I'd like to thank our host, Dr. Mila Brugic, our topical expert, Dr. Chris Levens, and our topical editor, Dr. Katherine Hogan. And now it's my pleasure to begin the broadcast. I'm Dr. Mila Brugic, and today we're going to be talking about Presbyopia in partnership with the American Academy of the Optometric Foundation. And we're here today with Dr. Chris Levens. Chris, tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us a little bit about your practice, what your role is at the school, all that good stuff.
1: Thanks, Dr. Brugic. Yeah, my name is Chris Levens. I'm in Memphis, Tennessee at the Southern College of Optometry. I've been there for 22 years now. I'm the chief of internal clinics and a professor there. I see patients. I oversee our main patient care facility. I do research. And boy, presbyopia is, to say it's a hot topic right now is probably the biggest understatement I've said all week.
0: Well, that's that's one of the cool things, Chris. So the thing I really have always appreciated about you is you are in an academic facility, but you're on the ground floor doing research, seeing patients. You have your hands kind of tied in, involved in everything. And and we are talking about presbyopia, but not optically treating it, pharmaceutically treating it. Give us kind of a high level perspective on the on the paper and, and tell sure. us. Sure
1: so this is a publication in the journal of clinical medicine Uh, it's really from two institutions a department of ophthalmology in poland and a department of biochemistry in thailand really doing a fantastic job of retrospectively looking across the literature of what has happened with regards to clinical trials in pharmacology to deliver us a pharmacological treatment for presbyopia, because it is such a new topic given that we now have Vuity, 1.25% pilocarpine ophthalmic um, from Allergan Abvi in our hands right now. And so this paper talks about it as well as going beyond it and what else is being studied at the moment.
0: So I guess like so one of the most important things, Chris, because this is such a different way to think about managing and treating presbyopia up until this point in time, we have not had pharmaceutical treatments for it. And this is really kind of the start of but I would almost consider a new category. I'd go as far as saving an eye care. Um, why why is this an important topic for us clinically in the trenches trying to trying to get our hands around this?
1: So when you go beside spectacles and then more recently contact lenses, which we've been doing refractive treatment for uh, presbyopia you know for over 100 years plus 200 years 300 years i mean it's just been a, been a very long time since really spectacles were ever invented well now this is the very first time that we can have a different methodology and a different form of intervention to really help patients who really just for whatever reason don't care for spectacles or find them inconvenient or don't like monovision i mean there's a whole host of reasons why it can be frustrating to be a presbyope today and this just gives both the practitioners and the patients an entirely new option.
0: I I, I think you hit on kind of a few key points that I want to dive a little bit deeper into, Chris. Why is this type of research important for not only us to understand, but also from a patient's perspective? Why is this now important for us to understand be able to deliver to them in terms of what the mechanisms of action are, how these pharmaceuticals work? To boil it down, I mean, quite simply put, Mila, For the years that I was
1: an optometrist and a non-presbyope, I really had no idea what my patients were whining about. I was like, come on, just get yourself some reading glasses, bifocals, progressive lenses, and get out of my office. Well, until I became presbyope, and then I said, whoa, this is really bad. And so... You know, I'm a user right now of the pharmacological treatment for presbyopia. So if I'm using it and embracing it, I can totally understand why we all looking for opportunities to feel younger. We're also looking for opportunities for an enhanced quality of life. And if something as simple as an eye, a safe, well-tolerated eye drop once a day or, or maybe twice a day could deliver a high quality of life, wow, I'm certainly embracing it. I think a lot of my patients will too.
0: So Chris, I I love this paper because it was a nice overview on what the options currently are that are available and what the options are going to be as well too. We know that 1.25% pilocarpine is now FDA approved for the treatment of presbyopia. What are some of those other molecules that are coming down the pipe? What potential advantages or disadvantages might they have? And are there anything, any other exploratory mechanisms of action that are being...
1: So I, I will say that we really are at the precipice of things coming. So we're really just, you know, coming close to what's going to be massively uh, massive options for us in, in potential coming uh, towards us. So still, this is for very, very early on. Uh, predominantly, we're still talking about myotics meiotics. meiotics in, by reducing the pupil intentionally and purposefully, we can extend depth of focus, which gives us another method besides just a, an add in spectacles to help our see at near. Um, the other category, which is still in its infancy, is really looking at lens softeners, so an entirely different process. Um, but again, this is early on because some of the early trials for lens softeners, which really make the lens physically softer, have been a bit inconclusive. But that's another way that we might be able to help our presbyopes. So, pilocarpine is one drug that acts as a meiotic, but there are other things out there that are also meiotics. Uh, and so, you know, what What percentage, what drug, how it's delivered? how often, what concentration are all different questions and quandaries really, really for the researchers to determine what might be better or as, at least another option for our patients.
0: So Chris, I'm going to, I'm going to, I want two more questions from you here, especially having an opportunity to to kind of pick your brain a little bit on this one is um how important do you think it is it for optometry right now um to start embracing this and really start understanding this medicine and how it works to treat presbyopia in particular because we we have now our first commercially available drop and it's it's really i don't want to say the gateway drug but it is going to be the first in the category of several other drops that are going to come out
1: so there's there's lots of things that come to mind, and there's lots of things that quite frankly impress me. Uh, you know, sometimes the first item out of the gate that's in our hands sometimes isn't the most, isn't the best, isn't the optimal. But I I don't I I wouldn't go there just yet because actually when you look through the trials that are mentioned in this paper, um, a lot of them carry far greater side effects, far far less of an effect or the data just is inconsistent and it's not repeatable. So we actually have quite a good product right out of the gate in our hands. Now I will say from the practitioner standpoint, it's, it's hard to break a habit that we just created unintentionally for decades, thinking that this wasn't even an option. So we now are trying to bring a new habit to front of mind to remember to bring up to our patients in a positive way. I mean, there's also an art to this. I can tell you just in the weeks and months since Beauty has been on the market, my practice processes have totally changed. And now I'm much more effective and successful with my patients now than I was, say, in mid-December and even in early January. So, so there's going to be a learning process. And, and this is in optometrist's hands. There's no doubt about it. The presbyopes are still coming into our practices every single day. And so it's up to us to say, hey, Miss Jones, um, Mr. Franklin, there's a brand new pharmacological treatment. Maybe you've seen some commercials about it, that it's safe, it's effective, it's well tolerated. It just gives you another way to combat this, you know, down, down downgraded quality of life thing called presbyopia. And now hopefully we're going to give you an upgrade in your quality of life all through a pharmacological treatment that we just didn't have, you know, months ago.
0: That is great, Chris. Um, I want to follow that up with are there any um, patient subtypes that we should be questioning or proceeding a little bit more cautiously when we're talking about myotics um, to treat presbyopia?
1: So, as we're looking at these drugs, at the as the at the drug today, and as we're looking at potentially more drugs coming toward uh, to us, we have to be cognizant of what are the deliverables into what patient bases. There may be some drugs that are better for more. Uh, older presbyopes. There might be some products that are better for younger presbyopes. There might be some in the middle. And to really approach your expectations with your patients appropriately so a patient isn't artificially disappointed because they're expecting it to deliver something that just cannot. So, for example, the drug that we have right now was studied in 40 to 55-year-olds, but honestly, I'm still bringing it up to my patients far greater than that in years. It just may not deliver as much as a 40-year-old, but honestly, you may they, they, people may not need that. Just getting a little bit of a boost may actually make people's lives easier, make their eyes feel younger again, and all bring to what I've said over and over, which is improved quality of life.
0: That's great, Chris. Well, thank you. I think that overview is awesome, and I think that really sums up today where we are and and even sets the the predisposition towards the next one, three, five years as well to looking forward to seeing a lot of these new molecules come to market and really kind of how they they pan out and compared to what we currently have available. I think it's going to be a really interesting space. Um, Appreciate your time too, Chris. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being here. And I want to give a huge shout out and thank you to the American Academy of Optometry Foundation for their partnership on this effort. Great, thanks, Mila. And a special thanks to Cooper Vision for their educational grant to make it all happen.